hello again, everyone. I'm Ty Collins. Welcome to the latest edition of the Lawrence University Career Center podcast, where we talk with alumni of interest. And today we're very lucky to be joined by Nick Ashley. Nick was a class of 2018, studied Russian studies and economics. He's currently working on his master's degree in international relations and affairs at Johns Hopkins University. And while he's doing that, he's also working full-time as a data science consultant for Grant Thornton. Nick, welcome to the show. So we're here to talk about today living and working in Washington, D.C. For many of our government majors, it is a destination they want to go either for job or for internship. And D.C. is kind of a different game. To begin our conversation today, let's just start by talking about your what you're currently doing. Let's talk about that job at Grant Thornton. What do you do as a data science consultant? Uh, so a little bit of background. I came to Grant Thornton, I believe, February 2020, after some time in Congress on various committees. Grant Thornton is considered sort of a tier two consulting firm. Uh, it's about the sixth biggest one in the world, right behind the rural ones like Deloitte, BCG, et cetera. The specific role that I have at this company uh, is being part of its public sector practice. The public sector, of course, meaning doing work that supports the work of the federal government. So my specific project right now, uh, I'm supporting the Department of Homeland Security, helping fight human trafficking uh, in different efforts. But the data science that I do uh, is doing different analyses, figuring out where to put resources, and figuring out how to make government work the best uh, to fulfill its mission in this area. I've been on this project for about, since I started Grant Thornton, I've been able to really hone skills in R, uh, hone skills in Python, but also figure out how to kind of balance the idea of government, the idea of public service with the idea of efficiency, management consulting, and many of these things you generally associate with the private sector. I'm happy here. Uh, but at the same time, I'm really hoping to take this experience and, and have private sector aptitudes that I can then go in and apply to government later on um, down the road. After Lawrence, Nick moved for a short time to New York City before then moving to Washington, D.C. Nick, tell us about that process of moving to the nation's capital. Rent is obviously very high in D.C. What are some things students should look for when they move to D.C. and need a place to live? Oh, yeah. Rent, rent was definitely a consideration. Uh, and as we you know, mentioned, Ty, I actually went and, and did my duty as a dishwasher and then as a waiter and then as a server before I actually even was in the D.C. area to begin with. Uh, that was a really pivotal experience for me because I felt like I got sort of the, the grittiness that one needs to really survive in D.C., but also understood how the two communities thrive. You have the, the upper echelon that does a lot of the back deals, and then you have people where you're able to kind of think of, how do I fit in this picture? So that was really important to me. Um, but the question being, how do you take those and, and think about DC? Well, first of all, you got to be gritty uh, to survive in DC. If you're not part of the boys club, you're not going to be somebody that has it easy. But on the positive side, there are so many students in DC. So if you're somebody who's thinking, I want to move to DC as a young individual, there's a lot of networks to help you. What you want to do is start looking at the college campus housing pages. Act as if you were a student because the boundary doesn't just suddenly stop as soon as you leave Florence. You can find a lot of cheap and affordable housing around campuses like Georgetown, Catholic University, American University, Trinity College, these DC schools that have support networks that are designed to support people with lower incomes, and then use that as a bouncing point, stepping off point to afford some of DC's more desirable neighborhoods. You mentioned uh, to be successful being a member of the Boys Club. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, and I say boys club here. Uh, I, you know, I recognize that as a male, I probably had this easier than some of my female colleagues. So boys club, I'm referring to sort of this like, it seems like nepotism 
really where a lot of people had connections. They'd be like, oh yeah, my dad works here. That's how I got this job here. I didn't have any of that. So, uh, you know, I had to kind of doggedly call on the phone. Um, my first internship I got by figuring out where people in this particular office went to get drinks <laughs> after work. I made sure I was a, a regular of that bar. You strike up a conversation. DC is a very coffee oriented town. DC is a very drink oriented town. You can get a lot by just having a great conversation. I think that's one thing Laurentians are uniquely suited to, to being able to execute properly uh, because we're interesting people. We have a lot of different individual backgrounds. We have a lot of different expertise. We're not somebody that if you're in DC just came from Virginia Tech, for example, um, and studied a very specific major in a very specific area. Now, that is something that is a challenge, right? How do you find these connections? How do you build these connections when you have none? Uh, and the answer is by being outgoing, being willing to talk to people, being able to find common interests with things people don't think you necessarily should know. Another thing that I had a trouble with, uh, especially kind of coming in from Wisconsin, uh, was that UW-Madison, UW-Lacrosse, a lot of the state schools are very heavily favored in Wisconsin offices. So if you're somebody who's looking to work in politics, as they say, the best way to do that is to look for people that are in your district, look for your representatives, look for people that are closest to you in the political system. But I found that a lot of those spots were already given away to the public sector universities because they're run by the state. So it was one thing that I had to kind of work against. My first in was at a New York office. And the only reason that I was able to get into that New York office was because I ended up serving the congressman himself at my New York state house. And we had a great conversation. And he said, hey, you seem like a pretty smart kid. If you ever have an opportunity to be out in DC, give me a call. And you know what? That was one of the few promises that somebody made to me that actually <laughs> turned out. But you need to stay uh, dogged. You need to stay at it. You need to find your networks and build them yourself. If you have a connection, that's excellent. Use it. Start locally. But if you can't, you need to go into look at many other options because that's where you're going to find it in. Once you find it in, it's like you just discovered a node in a really big graph database. And it's not that hard to get from one place to the other place and navigate to where you want to go. I think that's amazing. You you found out where the folks went for happy hour and then and then met them there. Because I don't think they most all go people, to the same bars. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people consider that an effective job search technique. But I mean, you're essentially just building your professional network, your professional community, and, and that's a way to do it. I'm not saying be desperate. Don't don't stalk these people. You know, that's <laughs> that's not what to do. But put yourself where their spheres of influence intersect with yours, and eventually you'll find some common ground. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting. At. So it is a lot of knowing and, and meeting the right people. For someone who you know maybe isn't the greatest at maybe someone who's more introverted and, and isn't the greatest at, at that kind of stuff. Do they have any hope? I mean, what would you what would you advise students who are a bit reluctant to to be as uh, outgoing and extroverted as you were? Uh, you know, I've always been an extrovert, so I recommend that that some of my skills may not be something that comes naturally to other people. But I don't think you can go wrong with being yourself unapologetically. You can apologize for acting the wrong way. You can apologize for not knowing certain things about DC, but nobody should ever be asking you to apologize for being yourself and for for just representing who you are, honestly. Being honest and being true to yourself is very refreshing. I think that's something Laurentians really wouldn't have trouble with, uh, being honest, being true to yourself. I recognize how much of a, a, a platicism that is. But if you're willing to go to somebody, uh, have a conversation in an organic way, right? If you have a dog, for example, I, I know somebody who actually got a job on the Natural Resources Committee because her dog uh, really liked this other dog that was down the block. And 
she was like, hey, can my dog play with your dog? And, you know, lo and behold, they struck up a conversation. Turned out this guy was a counsel in the Department of Natural Resources where she wanted to go. She's now working on forestry legislation and she loves it. How did that happen? She didn't really have to go out of her way and approach somebody with a brazen overture. She just let it happen in an organic way. Now, if she had walked up to somebody with a dog and was like, hey, I'm here to play. No, that wouldn't work, right? You have to just be able to build the connections, not be so worried about what are people going to think if I do what feels natural, if I trust my gut. And I think that's the best recommendation I can give. Right? What was it like to leave the Lawrence bubble and work in a metropolitan area? And how do you feel Lawrence prepared you for life in D.C.? I, I get asked this question a lot. How did, you know, how did Lawrence prepare you for life in D.C.? It boils down to one word, communication. Communication, writing as you do in freshman studies, they, they make it so you write to what really matters. You have to dispense with the words that don't really, aren't so meaningful, right? That's something that a lot of people continue to have trouble with. That's something that I continue to see even as I'm kind of in the private sector now, where people just simply don't know how to say what they want to say, and they don't know how to say it concisely. I think Laurentians are, are so uniquely suited to be able to say what they have to say and say it in a way that is rhetorically sound say it in a way that is persuasive and say it in a way that represents the best of what the liberal arts institution can give you. That's something that you should really cherish and recognize in yourself. There are so many situations where I can point to. It was because I happened to be a good writer. It was because I happened to write good talking points that I was singled out and this opportunity came out of that. To Laurentians that are really thinking, what do I have to offer? How am I going to stack up in the beltway against many of these other kids that may be coming from very prestigious institutions that may scare you. I certainly was intimidated. That was always what I could point to. This is why I was able to be on this team with the guy who graduated from Berkeley Law. This is why I was next to the Princeton grad, because she had a great education. I also had a great education. But at the end of the day, I knew what was important to put in this talking point. And nobody has time for anything that's not important. What are some ways to be effective in your communication while remaining brief and concise? as that is really, I think, in large part, what employers, whether they be in DC or elsewhere, is really looking for is, yeah, those communication skills, but can you do it quickly for me? The word that you'll hear thrown around is bluff, bottom line up front. Uh, that was something that was new to me. It may not be new to some of our, our government students. They use it in the military. They use it in defense. They use it in government. They use it in nonprofits. Bottom line up front. And that means give me the summation of your argument before you give me the context. And to do that, you have to go through the entire exercise of what's my argument, what's my supporting proof? How am I going to substantiate these claims? How am I going to bring in context that the person I'm delivering the memo may need to see? If you put the bottom line at the top of the article and then you work backwards, right? So working backwards of context, all these things, that will get you very far. There's a saying in DC that nobody signs documents that they wrote. And nobody who wrote documents signs them. And that means that eventually you're going to be writing for somebody who doesn't have the time to really, really you know, respect the work you've done for the research. They just want to know that you can show them your worth by, you know, the points they need to know. Um, and that will be very richly rewarded. Even in grad school, I have professors that say, bluff, give me the bluff, give me the bottom line up front. Most of my papers, Ty, uh, they've got a two-page limit, right? So, so think about that. I've got to take a research paper that Previously, I may have done 11 pages, 12 pages to really go deep on it, but now I've got to distill it into two pages. That's almost a harder exercise. So that's that's key. What's my most important point? What's my bottom line upfront bluff? And then secondarily, what are my primary reasons to substantiate that? 
somebody's going to ask you, why do you think this? And if you can't say why you think this quickly, and if you don't have your five on your hand reasons for why the bluff is as it is, that's enough to dismiss it, right? Because they know they're going to be asked questions. So if you can't answer the questions they're asking, how are they going to answer the questions they're going to be asked? Uh, those are the two things I would keep in mind. But I also think Lawrence prepares people very precisely to handle such a challenge, especially when you're considering a lot of the canon we had to read for our curriculum, especially in government, especially in econ, thinking about what's the main point was something that will get you very far and continues to get me very far long after I left. We are talking with Nick Ashley from the class of 2018 on living and working in D.C. on the Lawrence University Career Center podcast. Nick, if you could share one piece of really super important information or advice with our listeners regarding life in D.C., what is it? What's the big takeaway? I think the thing that I wish I would have known coming to D.C. that I try to make sure everybody that asks me about it now, there's a game in D.C. for how to get jobs how to climb, how to be successful. It's a game. And the good news is, is that everybody's playing it. So every time you think about networking, every time you reach out to somebody, I had a tendency to feel like I was the only one desperate enough to do this. I was the only one that needed to do such things to get where I wanted to go to, to be able to even have a job that paid me more than 800 bucks a month as an intern. But the actuality is that everybody's doing this. And that means that there are a lot of people who are very happy to help you out because they recommend and they recognize exactly where they were as a young person that may not have had everything figured out. And they recognize what it means when you reach out to them with a networking email to say, hey, we have this thing in common. Would you like to go and grab a coffee? You will get far by embracing that. And you will get far by reminding yourself that this is just something everybody does. The minute you think that you're the only one that does it is the minute you'll just start missing out on opportunities because people want to help you. And that is the thing you need to keep in mind moving to a city like D.C. You know, and including yourself, there are several Lawrence University alumni who, who live in D.C. Um, Absolutely. That you can find through Viking Connect, you can find through LinkedIn. And, and like Nick, uh, I'm sure they're, most or all are very willing to, to help. You just need to ask the question. All right. As we get set to wrap things up today on the podcast, we like to end with a fun question. I imagine living in D.C. now for as long as you have, you've met some pretty important people. Can you talk about maybe one or two famous people you may have met and, and how that interaction went? You know, meet and greets are one of those things in, in DC that's kind of a currency of sorts where everybody wants to meet and greet. But actually the, the story that, that truly keeps me up at night um, was uh, there's a tram in the underground part of the, the Senate House office buildings that goes from the Senate House office buildings to the Capitol Rotunda. And it's kind of set up like an airport train, if you will, um, where there's little capsules. And you never know who's going to get in this capsule with you. Um, and generally, there's a sender's only capsule. So, you know, they take that one. But I remember being an intern, having to go and deliver something near the coat room, um, which is a slang term for where you put the documents. And in walks Ted Cruz and sits across from me. And I was in the capsule. He wasn't in the senator's capsule. He was in my capsule. And I was the only person in the capsule. And the door was closed. And for 30 seconds, I had, I had to avoid making eye contact with Ted Cruz. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, and I made eye contact with Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz just nods and then, like, kind of closes his eyes as, as a cat does, sort of, you know, when a cat sort of squints um, like they trust you or, or, you know, are just too tired to keep their eyes open. He squinted. And just they have no idea what that look means or, or what he was hoping to convey, or maybe he was just tired. Um, but, you know, Ted Cruz being the controversial figure that he is, 
you know, there's some nights you're laying in bed at 2 a.m. and you suddenly have images of Ted Cruz sitting across from you uh, in an airport tram. And, and that's enough to, to make you startle a little bit. So that's the one that sticks with me. Um, <laughs> don't do that. But you know what? That's to say that you never know who you're going to run to in D.C. And you never know what they're going to do because at the end of the day, they're, they're normal people, regardless of what they may say or do or uh, how you may agree with their politics. All right. Great. Thanks, Nick. And like I mentioned yeah. earlier, um, you can connect with uh, Nick as well as other Lawrence alumni living uh, in D.C. Nick, you're both on uh, LinkedIn and on Viking Connect. If students have questions, is it okay just to follow up with you? All right. Awesome. Nick Ashley, our guest today on the Lawrence University Career Center podcast. Thank you for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having me, Ty.